This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I don't know. I just, to me, Daniel Cameron looked like a governor tonight and, and Andy Bashir looked like a government bureaucrat, which I guess maybe that's how he thinks of himself. I don't know. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Cameron V. Bashir at the Kentucky Chamber. Donald Trump was pro-life. Would he be in a second term? Kamala Harris on climate hysteria. And what does an F-35 lightning sound like, <laughs> Kevin Grout? <laughs> Scott Jennings is here on the Flyover Country podcast that bears his name. You guys are both uh, fresh back. This is an instant reaction podcast after the Kentucky Chamber's gubernatorial forum. Yeah, we uh, Kevin and I attended the uh, chamber event in downtown Louisville. At You're still credentialed. Yeah, I've got my, I've got my lanyard on, and uh, uh, we went to the Omni Hotel tonight. Which, yeah. if you haven't been to it in downtown Louisville, a great venue. Uh, I would say there were over a thousand people. Yeah, it was it was Scott, me, and a thousand other people. It's not like it was just the two yeah. of us there. And so it was. Um, I guess it was technically the first time since Fancy Farm. Yeah. It was it was billed as a gubernatorial forum. They were not on the stage at the same time. So uh, the chamber uh, comms a person, Jacqueline Pitts, interviewed Cameron first for about a half an hour. Hmm. Then he left, and then she asked the exact same questions of Andy Bashir, and then he left. And so it was like back to back interviews, but they were, not not a it was not a debate. They were almost in the room together. <laughs> they, so, yes. So did they put Andy Bashir like in a like a, a cone of silence? During the first half an yeah, hour, it was like so Family Feud. He, he was in there. He couldn't hear what the other the questions were. That's a great question. I I don't know. And My guess uh, is he was listening. Oh sure, uh, I'm sure he was. The and power they, of incumbency. And interestingly, they did refer to each other. You know, Cameron did say some things about Bashir. Bashir said some things about Cameron. So there there was some shadow boxing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they weren't doing actual boxing tonight, but uh, and so there was uh, there was a little bit of that. You know, the questions were uh, what you would expect out of a of a business organization. They had to do with workforce development and tax reform and right. the things that that the business community would care about. What I took away from it, uh, Kevin, on Cameron, was that he sounded like a plausible, knowledgeable, pro growth governor that would be what you would expect a red state to have in its leadership. Somebody who wants to be pro-growth and is wants to be as competitive as possible with other states in our region. And he, time and again, uh, returned to the idea that, hey, you know, we, we can have the same pro-growth policies and aggressiveness as a Tennessee or a Georgia or a Florida uh, but Andy Bashir has governed Kentucky like Gavin Newsom has governed California, and that's just not who we are. One of uh, Attorney General Cameron's lines tonight that I really it resonated with me is he said, Andy Bashir is going to come out here and say things are going great, but they're not nearly as great as they should be. Yeah. Every good thing that's happening in Kentucky is either over Andy Bashir's veto or has come too late because he tried to slow it down. The the big the big debating point, Joe. I think if um, I haven't seen any clips on this, it literally just ended. Uh, but it, it struck me that the biggest sort of policy point of contention tonight, other than you know Cameron's sort of realism versus Bashir's, uh, you know, fantasy land. Yeah, but happy talk was over the income tax. Yeah. You know, Kentucky has been on a path to zero out the income tax. Bashir vetoed it at one point, uh, and now they're saying we haven't met the triggers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cameron tonight definitively stated that he will be the governor that zeroes out the income tax, and Bashir's statements were, well, we don't want to be too hasty, and we shouldn't move too fast. And, you know, he, 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 so, so if you were thinking about like, what would be the impact on the most Kentuckians, and what was the biggest point of policy difference between the two campaigns? To me, if I were writing the lead, it would be a sharp contrast between Daniel Cameron and Andy Bashir over the income tax. Cameron's moving fast, and Bashir says, hold your horses. That's what I heard, by the way, from one of the other attendees besides you guys, is that because his his perspective was that Andy Bashir has been talking about putting more money in the pockets of teachers. Yes, he did talk Daniel, about that. And Daniel Cameron's talking about putting more money in the pocket of everybody. Yeah, uh, and, and the teachers issue came up tonight. Cameron, by the way, for his part, uh, praised public school teachers, talked about McKenzie, his wife, being a teacher, uh, and other family members that he's had that were public school teachers and talked about his own Cameron catch-up plan. 
uh, which is intending to uh, pay teachers more and do this tutoring program. So you did have Cameron actually touting a very pro-public education policy stance, Kevin. On, on this income tax issue, Andy Bashir is really, at best, a passive observer here. He gets a bill from the legislature, vetoes it or not, it becomes law anyway. What Daniel Cameron was talking about when he pledged to be the governor who will zero out the income tax He's going to be in a relationship with the General Assembly. He is going to work with legislators to get there in the most common sense and practical way possible to protect Kentucky's economy, grow it, and let people keep more of their own money. That was a theme that Cameron returned to time and again tonight was I actually have relationships with the General Assembly. I can actually pass a bill into law. And Andy Bashir does not have any relationships with them. He is he is frequently island. he's frequently vetoing things or is, as Kevin just said, a passive observer. So that, that was a key theme of Cameron, which is, look, if you want something done in Frankfurt, you should get a governor that can actually help you, as opposed to someone who, at best, can't help you, and at worst, might be trying to stop you. My perception of that particular talking point, which I think is an, an accurate one, is that it's a difficult one to deliver to the rank-and-file voter. So it seems to me that... I mean, anyone who knows what's going on in Frankfurt, no one can argue with your point, Kevin. No one can argue, I mean, your point, Scott, is that that is the, the, the case is the General Assembly has driven this bus. The governor has at times tried to stop it. Uh, it, it despite his best efforts, those laws were passed anyway. Income tax has come down. Right to work was passed. This was before he was governor. But my point being is this is an agenda driven by the Republican-led supermajorities in the House and Senate. Is that enough, though? by the rank-and-file voter to understand that that is actually the truth versus what you typically see in a campaign? Good question. I mean, I think anytime you're you're discussing what you want to see out of any policy, as, as much as you are communicating how you're getting something done, you're just basically also communicating your core values. Mm-hmm. Daniel tonight clearly communicated a core value of, I want you to pay less taxes. He said it a couple of times. He kept saying, you are business owners. I want you to have money so you can hire people and invest in your businesses. So I think I think that that crowd, that's the elite, okay? Right. Everybody in there is part of the 1% of Kentucky. This is the elite. These are the, you know, the, the, these are the most connected people to Frankfurt. You know, they tend to go to these events, and so they're in the know. So I think the argument actually works on them. To the broader electorate, though, often what you're just trying to do is to say, you know, I'm trying to communicate a vibe, a value. And the vibe was, I, I want there to be no income tax. And the vibe from Andy Bashir was, well, hold your horses now. And I actually thought... I might need some of your money a little bit longer. Well, I thought Bashir, you know, kind of, I thought he sounded wonky on it and in the weeds on it. But there was no mistaking. After four years of Daniel Cameron, there will be no income tax. After four years of Andy Bashir. I I think there definitely will be, or he will do his darndest to try to make sure there is one. And and I think if you're Cameron, you want that vibe. You want to be the low tax candidate, and I think he achieved that. Any other big takeaways, Kevin, from tonight? Any other uh, what what was the buzz walking out of that room? Well, this is a this is a workforce group. This is a a, a business community group, and I think Andy or uh, Daniel Cameron laid out another key point that he is going to be a workforce governor. He is going to, he kept talking about rebuilding a culture of work in Kentucky that Andy Bashir has, you know, given people government checks and is trying to get them to stay on government checks. He's the culture of government dependency has started under the pandemic and Andy Bashir has kept it going. And again, I think this is another theme that Daniel's going to bring to his campaign is that he wants people to work because there's, there's good things that come from people who are working. It's good for our state. Uh, and he's got the statistics to back it up. It's good for our economy. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was, I think his first or second answer, he kept hammering this point home and I think he's going to keep doing it through November 7th. The exact line from Cameron was I'm a workforce governor. He's a welfare governor. And Cameron st- strongly defended his idea that we have to get able-bodied people into the workforce and not doom them to a lifetime of government dependence on Medicaid or welfare. And Bashir, uh, you know, as I, I mean, he, he basically defended the idea that he's expanded Medicaid and wants yep. to have more people on Medicaid uh, and rejected the idea of, of work requirements. And, I, you know, I honestly, 
At one point, Cameron said, look, I don't think you should be punished for getting up and going to work every day. Right. I think we should encourage it. And in a room full of entrepreneurs, I think that yeah. that should hit home. So that's one audience, or the thousand people who were there uh, in, in person, the, the business elites, as you called them, Scott. Yeah. This was also being held in downtown Louisville. Louisville is the Jefferson County, I would think, is is essential, is crucial to Andy Bashir's uh, chances to for, for re-election. Did, do you think that for the Louisville media who were covering the event tonight, did Andy Bashir say the right things for the, the progressively minded, you know, more, more liberal Jefferson County compared to the rest of the state? Yeah, he, uh, first of all, I saw reporters there from both Louisville and Lexington. Right. Uh, Bruce Schreiner from the Associated Press was yeah. there. So I, I think it's going to get a fair amount of coverage. You know, I think Bashir said what you would expect a a governor to say it's, it was a lot of happy talk. I mean, at one point he declared that there really wasn't any violent crime, but everybody thinks there is really. Yes. Yeah. At one point he declared, was that, there any response from the crowd? I mean, there was some eye rolling. <laughs> um, he also declared at one point that, that the uh, drug addiction was really kind of going away. We, we did it guys. Good job. Uh, I mean, I mean to hear him tell it tonight, everything is solved. We have no issues. He he sort of, you know, he sort of uh, sidestepped a question about learning loss, and he yep. said, you know, one way to keep make sure kids know how to do math is to make sure there's a math teacher. And I'm like, well, you closed the school for two years. There was no math teacher in the classroom for two. So, to hear him tell it, all problems are solved uh, today, and that any problem that might arise can be solved by just spending money on it. He he embraces no policy changes. He acknowledges no challenges. But he he did he did poo pooed the idea that there is violent crime. Mm-hmm. He poo pooed the idea that we have drug addiction issues. You know he he really even poo pooed the idea that we have workforce participation rate issues. That yeah. got brought up, and he said, "Well, you know, there's multiple surveys and there's different ways of looking at it." The fact is, Kentucky has one of the worst labor participation rates in the country. No yeah. one disputes this, except Andy Bashir. Now, if you're a partisan Democrat, there's your question. If you're a partisan Democrat, you'd love it, you know, because he's he's painting an alternate reality that you want to believe you live in because you have a Democrat mm-hmm. governor. I think if you were in that room and you're a realistic person and not a total partisan, I think Daniel Cameron sounded like he was living in the real world, and Andy Bashir sounded like a you know a mid-level bureaucrat at the tourism cabinet. I mean that, and he looked like it too. He didn't even have a tie on tonight. Right. He showed up without a tie. Cameron came wearing a bit. Everyone in there has a business suit on except Andy Bashir. Well, it's the John Fetterman way. This <laughs> <laughs> is the new, but, the new I, rule. Yeah, the, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it, I did think it was weird. I mean, yeah. the, the chamber events are business attire, right? And and I don't know. I just to me, Daniel Cameron looked like a governor tonight, and and Andy Bashir looked like a government bureaucrat. Which I guess maybe that's how he thinks of himself. I don't know. Well, the twenty twenty two midterm elections. We uh, talked a lot about the. What effect the reversal of Roe v. Wade had on that, and certainly we're seeing abortion becoming a, a an issue uh, that is that is really being talked about a lot, especially in television commercials in this governor's race. To what extent, Kevin, do you think abortion continues to be? And this, what we saw last year, is this what Democrats saw happen in the, in the midterms and say this is going to be kind of a roadmap for Democrats to be competitive, especially like in the suburbs? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Austin Horn, a, a reporter with the Lexington Herald-Leader, tweeted either yesterday or today, nobody was talking about abortion in this race a month ago. And now it has just totally captured all the oxygen in the last two weeks. Uh, yeah, I think I think Democrats saw a, a couple big wins on abortion in 2022. I think, um, you know, here in Kentucky, uh, Amendment Number 2 failed. Uh, and they think that was a big win for them. It was really, really close, but they, they think that was a big win for them. So they're going to try to push it um, as Republicans being extreme on abortion and completely ignoring how extreme most Democrats are on abortion. This issue has hit the governor's race because Andy Bashir is running false negative attacks against Daniel Cameron. If you just look, by the way, at what candidate to candidate is going on, Andy Bashir is running probably the most negative campaign in the history of Kentucky gubernatorial campaigns. Daniel Cameron's commercials have included him uh, on a football field with his son and now him in a, in a school talking about his education plan. Cameron, as a campaign, is running a positive campaign about what he wants to do as governor and who he is and the kind of values that he brings. It's kind of interesting because Bashir frequently lectures everyone yeah. about you know partisanship and negativity. Division. And, divi- and Andy Bashir is running the most 
divisive negative in, in ads, and he's launched. I'm not going to play it because it's so nasty yep. and false against Daniel Cameron. But Cameron responded to it today uh, with a video of his own. I do want to play this. Uh, I got it, Kevin, right here. It's unfortunate, but Andy Bashir is running the most despicable campaign in Kentucky history. Now, he lectures us on partisanship and unity, then runs disgusting false attacks. I've said if the legislature were to bring me a bill with exceptions, I would sign it. Now, contrast that to Andy Bashir, an extremist whose record in public office is clear. He supports abortion through the ninth month. His policies are what they have in North Korea and China. He even vetoed a bill requiring medical care for infants born alive after a failed abortion. And he vetoed every pro-life bill he saw because Planned Parenthood and Joe Biden said too. Now, there's an extremist in this race, and it is Andy Bashir. So Cameron uh, punching back today after some of these abortion ads and some of the legislation that, that Cameron is referring to, you know, he uh, Bashir vetoed protecting the unborn after 15 weeks. So there was a 15-week bill, mm-hmm. which we've heard a lot of talk about, and, and Bashir vetoed that. Uh, he vetoed the Born Alive bill, which Cameron referenced, which is, I mean, how can you be against that? Yeah. Uh, he vetoed parental notification if a minor is seeking an abortion, and he has refused to sign any pro-life legislation into law. There are no limits, and that's the point that Cameron is making. So right now in this race, you have Bashir making false assertions, smears, despicable smears against Cameron. Cameron's position as he has clearly stated, is that as attorney general, he has to he has to defend the current law. So he's done his job, unlike Bashir, I guess, who didn't do his job as AG. But then as governor, he said he would sign a bill passed by the legislature if it included the exceptions of rape and incest to go along with health and life of the mother, which we already have. That's a pretty clear, reasonable, common sense position. The Bashir position is no limits all the time, anytime, for any reason. And so I like that Cameron was punching back, but it is obvious that Bashir thinks he needs to run negative, false, despicable ads in order to have a chance in this race. I mean, these are nasty, false ads. Very, very despicable. Where is Kentucky as a populace, as the, the, the electorate, on the issue of abortion? I think it's very divided. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of surveys on this over the years and all my campaign work, and you— there is no consensus on this, and it also depends on how you ask it. Absolutely. But I think the bulk of the population, I think Kentucky on balance is mostly pro-life, but does want there to be some access in the event of health and life of the mother, rape, and incest. I think a very small percentage of the population wants there to be no restrictions, and honestly, I think a very small portion of the population wants there to be uh, no access whatsoever. So the fringes, I think, are the smallest. And I think most people fall broadly somewhere in the middle, which is there ought to be some reasonable limit. And I think there's probably differences of opinion. Should it be six weeks? Should it be 15 weeks? I, I think there's diff- But I think there's broad agreement on the exceptions, which Cameron supports. And so the Bashir campaign is trying to make him out to be something that he is not. Uh, and Cameron pushed back on that today. I suspect we're going to continue to see this debate unfold. And go ahead, Joe. You have a question? Well, my question is, so Daniel Cameron was asked, would he sign a bill that the if it's passed by the General Assembly that uh, excludes abortions except for yeah. rape, incest, life of the mother? Has Andy Bashir been asked that same question? Would he sign a bill? That excludes or prohibits abortions except for those exceptions? That, that to me, is the apples-to-apples questions to ask. That's the thing. No one ever asked Democrats where they actually fall on this issue. They only attack Republicans because the answer is, as Scott laid out, no restrictions. Well, I think he wouldn't sign it because I think if the legislature were to pass a bill, it would be the current heartbeat bill, right? It's six weeks. And and so they would be saying, we're going to keep it at— Six right, weeks, right. and we're going to add the exception. So, no, I don't think Bashir would sign it because it still has a weeks, it still has a, a limit, a time limit on it. I think the only thing he would sign is a bill that says no time limits yep. 
mm-hmm. and that abortion could be performed at any time because that's what Planned Parenthood wants. And they're, they announced they're going to spend money in his campaign. It's what the National Democratic Party wants. And so that's what he's going to do. And, and so you've got Cameron saying, well, we could have reasonable limits and we could have exceptions. And you have Bashir saying, well, I vetoed everything that's pro-life and I want no limits. I, to me, more people are going to fall in the Cameron bucket. But that so so because we know that I think that explains why Andy Bashir is lying about Daniel Cameron. I would just say as a pro tip for any reporters who are listening to the podcast, or if you know a reporter who and you're listening to the podcast and you can just give them the pro tip from somebody who covered this for a number of years. If I was a reporter today, yeah, the question. I mean, I th- I think that the the Cameron position on this issue has been pretty fleshed out the last two or three days. So to me, the natural. The logical question then to ask next is to the governor is the exact same question you asked. If you're asking candidate A that question, then then ask candidate B the same question. And, say, and, and he's clearly eager to talk about it. He's he's very willing to talk about no, the I issue mean, as long as he's punching so, with these so disgusting ads. But my, my point being is, is if you're if, and to your point, Kevin, if you're going to raise this, this is the issue of the campaign. Okay, then it's the issue of the campaign. Then let's ask the question about it. So that that to me was be my, my suggestion, and I would hope if you're a reporter, shoot me a, a tweet or a text, whatever else. We'll talk about it. Well, you're assuming Andy Bashir takes questions from reporters. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean he he is running a, a kind of a, a hide in the basement campaign. He doesn't really hold gaggles that often, and his press conferences are very controlled environments. Daniel Cameron's out doing press and 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 stuff all over the state, but I don't think he wants to be asked that question. Because it's uncomfortable to say out loud, well, we shouldn't have any limits because that's his position. So he'll talk around it and he'll continue to distort what Daniel has done. But just remember, at the end of the day, if he gets asked a direct question, what limits would you support? He will not give a number because his masters are Planned Parenthood and the National Democratic Party. And their position is very simple. There are no limits that we will accept. My point being is, again, as a, as a, as a reporter... As someone who approaches this from a, if I'm reporting this, as, and this is my journalistic, uh, you know, integrity here, is that I'm actually speaking on that in that sense not only for the pro-life coalition, but also for Planned Parenthood. If I'm Planned Parenthood and I'm supporting him for governor, I want to hear him articulate his 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 protection of what I see as my constitutional right, and- right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he should be asked about this, but I'm, you know, I, I won't hold my breath. I mean, I, I now well, there are going to be debates, and my suspicion is because this has now become part of the, you know, top two or three advertised yeah. topics. This will be a question. Sure. But what I will expect Andy Bashir to do is just to to try to continue to ram Cameron on it and distort his position on it without ever, you know, without ever getting to having to explain what he is for, and he'll say, well, you know. What I'm for is what's best for the best for the woman and best for the baby. That's not an answer. The the only question that matters is, are there any limitations you will accept? If so, what what is the number? What is the weeks? What it what is the limitation? And there will be no articulation of that. Uh, and so you know it'll be up to Daniel in the debates, honestly, to to really in in the moderators to try to pin him down. By the way, one final thing: there there is reasonable debate and differences of opinion among Republicans on the weeks. And, you know, we have Kentucky has, you know, uh, the heartbeat bill, essentially. And and some states have more. So there is debate on that. But to me, it's more than reasonable to have some kind of line wherever you think that line is. There probably should be a line we shouldn't go beyond. That's what most of Europe does, what most of the civilized world does. And as Daniel said, the countries that have no lines are the barbaric regimes of China and North Korea. So I, I to me, um, I'm glad Daniel pushed back on this today. I think he needs to do that, and I think we're going to hear more about it in the debates, and I, and I hope people take your advice. Again, as an electoral matter, as we saw in the 2022 midterms, it be, it's, it's an issue, and it's something which is squeezing candidates, and apparently it was squeezing Donald Trump, who, as I said in the intro is considered to be perhaps one of the most pro-life candidates and uh, in the sense our uh, presidents, his uh, Supreme Court justices that he uh, uh, nominated and were confirmed, of course, led the way to the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Yet Donald Trump, when asked by new Meet the Press moderator Kristen Welker over the weekend, had a kind of a different approach here, Kevin. 
voters who are going to be weighing in on this election yeah. a very clear sense of where I think you stand I on think this. they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let Mr. going President, to have to happen is you're going to have to... This question, Kristen, please. you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15? Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. That seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? Uh, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Now, listen, the Florida law has all the exceptions that you could want mm-hmm. in it, by the way. And for Donald Trump, because it's not just Florida, there's a number of states with Republican governors that have essentially the heartbeat bill with exceptions. I think they have it in Georgia. Iowa. I, uh, Ohio. Yeah. And so what I hear in that answer is a couple of things. Number one, somebody who believes that the Republican primary is over and that he can take for granted the votes of pro-life voters, many of whom live in Iowa. Number two, for him to say that he can negotiate a limit on abortion with Democrats that would, quote, make them happy, (laughs) is either the most extreme amount of bullshittery (laughs) I have ever heard or someone who fundamentally does not understand the position of the Democratic Party. I assume it's... The first thing I said, and not the second, but maybe it's both. It's not the first time, though, he's used rhetoric to try to like to summon something into being. Right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, honestly, though, just if you're a if you're going to the Iowa caucus, and one of your core conservative values is that we should be a pro life country, wherever you fall on that. And by the way, again, there are Republicans all over this debate, but generally all the who describe themselves as pro-life. And you have a Republican telling you that he's going to sign a bill that Democrats voted for on abortion? Understand something. He's fixing to sell you out, okay? Because he's not signing any bill with any limits. Mm-hmm. He's not signing any bill with any limits. And the fact that the, fa- the fact that he would give that answer instead of pivoting on that and saying, listen, Republicans are reasonable and Democrats are unre- I mean, the idea that he would even harbor the idea that, 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 anyway, extremely disrespectful. And honestly, you know, maybe he's looking at the polls, Kevin, yeah. and saying, it doesn't matter what I say. I can say I can get away with anything. And I don't, I mean, maybe he can. I guess we'll see. But that right there was one of the biggest. You know, thumbs in the eye of of pro-life voters in Iowa that I could imagine. Well, this is where Trump is on a lot of issues. He's like, I don't want to give a policy right now. When I'm in there, I'll just bring everybody together. We'll go behind closed doors and we'll come out hugging each other. I mean, that's how he's going to fix the war in Ukraine. He just said, "Eh, I'll have it over in 24 hours. Uh, I think Zelensky this week said, Trump, like, just say your plan. We could fix this war right now. He doesn't have any these firm positions he's willing to put out. And I think it was as soon as he lost in 2020, he started abandoning the pro-life movement blaming the pro-life voters for yeah. for not re-electing him so i don't i don't know if this is the polling like you mentioned scott or if this is just a, a kind of a grudge that he's got against these people that he i mean there were a lot of pro-life advances during his yeah. administration and if he feels betrayed by them uh, for not re-electing him a second time because this, he lost. This, this is the difference between believing in something because it's a core value yeah, or exactly. believing in something because you have engaged in transactionalism. It's all transactional. And so when he ran for president in 2016, he proclaimed that he would be pro-life and appoint pro-life judges. And, hey, look, I got Mike Pence. I mean, he really leaned into it. And when he was president, he was pro-life. And the three justices and all the other federal judges yep. were pro-life judges. His policies were pro-life. That was the transaction. But you said it. The minute he lost, he started looking for people to blame. Yep. And in his soul, in his core, 
these are not natural positions for him. He's not naturally pro-life. He wasn't naturally pro-Second Amendment. He wasn't naturally the de- Republican. The debate, well, the debate <laughs> right. over guns. Remember, his first instinct was, I'm going to take the guns and yep. we'll do due process second. Yep. His natural instincts are to be not conservative. He can be reeled in if somebody jerks his chain, like the gun lobby did uh, when they were in. So he got him, they reeled him in. And I assume pro-life people that support him are screaming at him like, you can't abandon us. But his natural instinct is to always go left on government spending, mm-hmm. on all kinds of stuff. His natural instinct is to move to the left. And so I, just just remember, this man is not, he, he's not instinctively conservative. Now, it does beg the question, is this still a conservative party? Yeah. And, and as I have watched the news unfold over the last few days, things have dawned on me. <laughs> The Democrats are now socialists. The Republicans are now Democrats. And the conservatives are, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. everybody, I, I don't know. But you've got Trump right. throwing the pro-lifers under the bus and then announcing he won't go to the Republican debate because he's going to go meet with the auto workers the, and, 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 and the union strikers and side with them. You've got senators that are coming out, as I predicted, yep. siding with the with the picket lines. And so I'm just trying to figure out, is this going to be a conservative party? Or is the whole world shifting left to only to leave conservatives with nowhere to go? And I guess the gamble is, well, what are you going to do, vote Democrat? No, conservatives won't do that. But boy, talk about trying to depress a bunch of people that you need. Donald Trump has never gotten more votes than a Democrat. He needs the conservatives. Yep. He needs the conservatives to be excited and to turn out. I guess they think Joe Biden is going to be unpopular enough to drive them out. But man, who could be excited about a pro-union, you know, pro-choice Republican nominee for president? I don't get it. I have been uh, understanding and, de- and and defended, I think, a lot of people who were uh, taken advantage of by Donald Trump. I think the, the populists who 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 kind of hitched their their wagon to his star and said, "No, he's my guy." The whole thing at this up until a certain point, and for instance, like January sixth, I feel terrible for people who I think that he manipulated. Uh, but there there's a there's a line that has to be drawn at some point that you become a patsy. And if you're a, still a Donald Trump supporter after all this, you're a patsy. So just think about it. Think about it here as far as listen to what he's saying. Listen and ask yourself what your core values are. And if you change your core values overnight because suddenly the guy says you should, I don't know what you believed in the first place. So don't be a patsy. You're right. We need, The Republican Party, I mean, for the last generation, my entire lifetime at least, has not just been an echo of what the Democrats have been, but we've presented... A choice. We we've been a conservative party, and I think you know we're at risk of losing all of that. Uh, I, I'll add to the litany. Not only are we pro union and pro choice, but we're also running away from our military alliances, trying to tear down our military. And and Ronald on, Reagan would roll over in his grave. And on COVID, you know, Trump's posture in this primary has been to <laughs> attack the governors like DeSantis and yep. Kemp, who tried to keep the states open and say that Cuomo and Newsom had it right. So, like, these instincts to want to side with the left on, I mean, you name it. Yep. You name it. And and there is, you can find some example of him saying, well, at least in this moment, I'm going to side with the left because I hate Ron DeSantis or right. because I blame somebody for me losing or because it's convenient. That's what it is. And that's the thing. Principles and values are not convenient. Right. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they aren't. But they're principles and values for a reason. Now, I actually think Trump's instincts on abortion, there, there is something correct about it, and that is the Republican Party needs to be able to articulate a position. I think one of the things holding back the party on this issue is that we do have division in the party on what it should be. Now, some would say, well, that's federalism. Some states are going to do this. Some states are going to do that. That doesn't really help you in a national conversation, though. Right. And where the Democrats have a unified position, it's despicable, but it's 
Every Democrat everywhere believes the same thing. Yep. No limits at all, ever. So they, they're unified, their base likes it, and their money people, most importantly, like it. For the Republicans, there is still a debate going on about what the party's position is. This is the wages, by the way, of not having a platform. The party has no platform. We wanted to overturn Roe versus Wade, and we did, and that was the correct thing to do. And now everybody's running around like chickens with their head cut off, like, what do we do? What do we do? Well, one thing you could do is have a party platform and try to get some consensus around what does it mean to be pro-life. And you can respect federalism, but even on the question from Welker about the 15 weeks, what would it have hurt Donald Trump to say, yeah, you know what? Ronald Reagan believed in 15 weeks and the three exceptions. That's been the Republican position for most of my life. And I don't, and I think that's honestly the most mainstream conservative thing somewhere in that zone would put us in line with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, there might be some pro-lifers who want to go further, but there's a hell of a lot more Democrats who, yep. <laughs> who want to go all the way. And so for him to, to, to like even back away from that and then to say in the same breath, well, whatever I do, you know, the Democrats are going to be very happy with it. Let me tell you something. If you're even approaching calling yourself pro-life and someone tells you they're going to sign a bill on abortion that a Democrat would be happy with that I guess got 60 votes in the Senate, God help us all. You referenced uh, Donald Trump standing in the polls. Where are we with that? Because it seems to me he has to have a lot of confidence here to be able to to, to, to go to the extent to which what he went with uh, with Kristen Welker and, and, and to skip the second debate. So right, exactly, exactly with the UAW. So look, there's no doubt, there's no question that I am sure his campaign is analyzing this. Like, look, we're already the nominee, yeah. so it's time for us to pivot. We mm -hmm. need to begin to to try to moderate ourselves or separate ourselves from Republican positions that we think are going to hold us back. Mm -hmm. So, and let's go through it. There are polls out tonight. Now, here's the thing. Nationally, he is at 60%. That's a great number. We don't have a national primary. We have individual state primaries. So let's go through it. Right now, I'm just going to read down what came out tonight. South Carolina. This is a Fox Business poll. Trump, 46 under 50, Haley 18, DeSantis 10, Scott 9, Ramaswamy 5, everybody else down the list. So Trump, much lower in South Carolina than he is in the national polls. Still well ahead, obviously ahead, and, and as long as this fragmentation exists, we'll be ahead. So that's that one. Iowa, we just talked about that. Fox Business, Trump 46, DeSantis 15, Haley 11, Ramaswamy 7, Scott 7, Christy 3, and on down from there. So again, he's not at 60. He's under 50. He's, win the, he's winning by 20 points in each of those polls. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, 46 to 15. So, you know. It, and, at least 20 points. <laughs> yeah. He's well ahead. Yeah. Well ahead. Not the same number as the national, but well ahead. So that's Iowa. Uh, New Hampshire. This is the CNN uh, poll tonight. Trump 39. Hmm. Ramaswamy 13. Which, by the way, these Ramaswamy voters are going to vote for Trump, okay? We're going to. So just. I'll be shocked if he's in the race. My prediction is Ramaswamy will eventually drop out and endorse Trump on the eve of Iowa because he's in the race to help Trump. Yep. So so dropping out and endorsing him would be the most helpful thing at the last minute. I mean, I guess this is probably just a, I don't know, but is he there long enough in case Trump is goes to prison? That's my fearless prediction is that Trump, like, none of that's going to resolve in time. Mm -hmm. And so Ramaswamy is going to pull a, I'm getting out, and I encourage everyone else to get out. He's already done this. Yeah. Everyone should do what I do and say, come to the courthouse and let's lock arms and support Donald Trump. He, he won't actually run against Trump. He is going to abandon shit. That's my fearless prediction of the night. But in, in CNN, New Hampshire, Trump 39, Ramaswamy 13, Haley 12, Christie 11, DeSantis. So you've got... One, two, three, four candidates, all within a couple of points of each other. And then it goes on down from there. Uh, and then you've got, um, let's see here. Was that the last one? I think it might have been. So those are the early state polls. Oh, one more. The CNN New Hampshire fave unfave. So this is just, who do you like? Who do you think has the highest net fave in the group? In New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Highest net favorable uh, of Republicans. Tim Scott. Tim Scott is correct, yeah. and it's not even particularly close. Tim Scott is 45 fave, 13 unfave. That's a net 32 positive. Trump is next, 52-33. Uh, 
Haley then 3825, DeSantis 4432, Ramaswamy 4331, and then it gets lower down from there. The worst? Who do you think the worst was? Christy? Borgum. Nope. nope. Mike Pence. Oh, is that right? <laughs> 1162, negative 51. Christy was 1767, negative 50. So yeah. you can see where they're headed. But, but it's you- interesting. Tim Scott has yeah. the highest net faves. They yeah. love Tim Scott. But then you go down to the head-to-head yeah. in that New Hampshire poll, and the head-to-head had Tim Scott at 6%. Well, so he I needs- love you. But we don't want you to be the president. The yet. pressure is on him for whomever is watching the next debate out at the Ronald Reagan Library uh, among the 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 also rands. Yeah, to see how he <laughs> how he how he, how he does um, out there. I'm going to put you on the spot, Scott. I didn't warn you about this ahead of time, but as far as Biden Trump mm. and in particular on the, I don't know if you have any memory of this or have it uh, ready. As far as the swing states, the the, the the states that actually will determine the next president. Do we have an idea of, of where that race is right now between Biden and Trump? Yeah, it's basically tied. And in and, and, and some tracking, in the real clear average, I think he's actually slightly ahead. Trump, yeah. is, Trump is slightly ahead. This is why, by the way, you're having the Democrat freakout that you're freak having right out. now. Right. You've had the Washington Post is essentially yeah. in a full-blown meltdown. Opinion columns, there was yeah. an article Monday night that was like, you know, anxiety ripples through the Democratic Party. And they quoted a party chairman from Ohio saying, well, you know, Joe Biden, he's at the stage of life where people die. <laughs> they literally put that in the newspaper. So there is a freakout yep. going on. It's like the journalists and the Democrats, the professional Democrats, all just realized this week that Joe Biden is old and Kamala Harris is a disaster. They just figured this out. It was as soon as the real clear politics average had Trump ahead. As yes. soon as they thought Trump could come back, Joe Biden was no longer useful to and, them. And let me tell you, I'm still dubious that Trump will beat Biden. He could beat Biden. If yep. Trump is convicted of a crime, I think he, there's no way he could beat Biden. But let me tell you something. There's stuff in this polling that if you're a Democrat, and look, I, I did a thing with a friend of mine this week, Mark Riddle. Hello, Mark. Democrat, I love Mark. We've done stuff together for years. We had a little public debate at a, at a thing. Mark has run a number of campaigns yeah, in Kentucky. he has. And he was like, oh, Democrats are bedwetters. Everything's fine. You know, he was preaching this. But you cannot deny that there's stuff in this polling that would freak you out on the economy, yep. on immigration, uh, on just a question of is Joe Biden too old? People think he's too old today, yep. let alone a second term. Well over half of Democrats in all these national surveys say, eh, he's too old, he shouldn't run. That would freak you out from an enthusiasm perspective. Here's another one tonight. The Economist, YouGov. I'm going to ask this question, then I'm going to give you a little commentary. Do you approve or disapprove of the House of Representatives opening an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden? Now, the media has spent all of its time the last several days telling us there's no evidence. This is wrong. This is a waste of time. Republicans are alienating swing voters. Blah, blah, blah. Tonight, 48% approve. Really? 41% disapprove. The American people believe this man needs to be investigated. And the Republicans are doing it. And the voters agree in spite of everything you've heard. This is a popular move. So all this stuff is coming out. And you can understand, Kevin, why the Democrats are in freakout mode right now. Total oh, yeah. freakout. Because even if Joe Biden eeks by and if he is reelected, who do we got next? Yeah. What happens if, you know, it gets worse and he doesn't make it another four years? Kamala Harris. And she's and and that was one of the things in the David Ignatius column. Yep. You know, Joe Biden, you shouldn't run so that Kamala Harris also you should also step down. She's massively unpopular. So it's interesting. For all the differences in the parties, there is actually a, a broad agreement on a couple of things. Number one. Both parties have obviously concluded that they want this election to be a referendum on Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump wants a referendum on Trump. His supporters do. They want a vindication. And Joe Biden wants a referendum on Donald Trump. They think that's what will save him. But number two, both parties have come to the conclusion that their guy couldn't possibly lose to the other guy. 
Trump supporters do not think there is a world where he could possibly lose to Joe Biden. He's the most electable. If you look at the polling, Republicans think Trump is the most electable. And Democrats believe there's no possible way Joe Biden can lose to Donald Trump because Democrats get enthusiastic to vote against Trump and abortion, which we talked about. They think that's, that's going to play a big role. So you've got both parties, referendum on Trump, magical thinking. We couldn't possibly lose. Well, guess what? Someone's going to be wrong. Yeah. So the box that the Democrats and Joe Biden have painted themselves in as far as his candidacy seems to me to be that if he would step down, then isn't this Kamala Harris's nomination? Doesn't she deserve it? I mean, hasn't she been a loyal lieutenant? And wouldn't there be some cries of some prejudicial thinking among uh, a certain segment of the Democratic Party if, in fact, she has not handed this nomination? I, I, I think so, and I, I, I think Gavin Newsom even said he would not run against her, that she's great. I mean, he, he's the only one supporting her out there. You know, Nancy Pelosi. And- well, as, as long as she's still putting herself out there in that way. I think Gavin Newsom ends up being the nominee of the Democratic Party. Uh, but but that said, I think that will take Kamala Harris getting it- some other reason to step aside. Right. I don't know if that'll, I mean, I'm just saying that it's, I, but if Joe Biden is not in this race, it is hers to, I, think, I, I don't even say lose, just give away. Well, I'm, I'm just saying is that mm. it's, well, it's, it's her, it's, I think it's going to be a, a real uh, reckoning for not necessarily because she could win an election just no. because I don't think anyone would actively come out against her. I totally disagree. First of all, Newsom is a circling buzzard. Right. He's praying for Joe Biden to fall down three more times and step aside. Uh, I think Gretchen Whitmer is desperate to get in. Um, I think there's, I mean, Pete Buttigieg, I think, is still waiting in the wings out there. So I don't think they would hand this to her. I think she starts as the favorite because yeah. she's a sitting vice president. She's a horrific candidate for public office. Her her campaign but doesn't she, before was a total failure. Democrats don't really like her. She's a, an embarrassment. She is incompetent. But it's, her numbers are look. If you're going September, look, 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 right hold on, hold on. Yeah, if okay. you're going to run Joe Biden out of this race on the issue of oh, man, he might lose to Trump, how are you going to default to her? She's even more likely to lose. to Don't Trump. you think that she has a core group of supporters who are going to say there's no way you can deprive her? Yes. I don't think it'll be enough. Speaking of Kamala Harris, uh, an interesting interview uh, this past week where I, I, she's really feeling bad, but at the same time... Hold seems- on, hold on. Can we just stop? By the way, this is all like fantasy land. Yes. Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. You think so? He ain't going yeah. anywhere. The yeah. White House has this thing rigged. I get asked this all the time. Well, when do you think Biden's going to step aside? He's not. Well, I will say to your point, certainly the primary system has been rigged yes. to, to favor Joe Biden. So that, that's so, a very good point. So he's not, I, he's not. I just still, I don't know. I, it's like I'm a time traveler, uh, like my friend. And if, if they were going to convince him not to run, it would have already happened. He wouldn't have announced. I just I just still think that if, if we're going to fast forward this tape or rewind it one way or the other, and you're going to say later on, well, you're right. It's it's Gavin Newsom. Somehow any, it's going to end up being him. Anything to say that Joe was right. Yeah, okay. Well, look, I mean— if if something unexpected happens, mm-hmm. if he has a health scare, if he, yeah, of course, but if he just continues on on the current course of just saying weird things, <laughs> screaming and whispering into microphones, touching people inappropriately, shaking hands with the air, not being able to find his way off of a stage, wandering out of events, if he just keeps doing that, he's probably okay. I mean, he's not okay. He's electorally fine. He's not okay. He's okay. Nobody to, thinks the president is okay. He's okay to win a rigged primary. There you go. He'll be fine enough to, <laughs> to win a rigged <laughs> It's amazing. They rigged this thing. Over half of Democrats do not want this man to run again. And they rigged it to deprive them of a system in which they could enact their will. It's amazing. Just in, in, in the 30 <laughs> seconds, uh, what... Because how did they change the primary system to rig it for Joe Biden? They changed the order of the states. They yeah. uh, principally was the main issue, and they made it harder for ballot access. I mean, and super delegates are still out there, and they're always going <laughs> to stick with the establishment. Hey, look, and this is the thing. This is the perk of being the president. You control the party. Yep. And that's just the way. To, and by the way, this is the perk of for Donald Trump. His people have been changing party rules and and setting. And so again, this is it's like we have two incumbents. Right. 
running against each other from the perspective of their ability to control things within their own party structures. They're both doing it, and they and they should. I mean, this is if you're in that position, if you're the establishment, which they both are, then you you should wield that power. But waiting in the wings is the aforementioned vice president, Kamala Harris. Something that young leaders have actually told me that they've coined as a term, climate anxiety, <laughs> which is their fear about the, the, the future, right? And so whether they should have children, whether they should ever think about buying a home for fear that it might be wiped out because of extreme weather occurrences. And it, it pains me that they would live with such uncertainty about what their future can be. Hmm. I got to say, I'm okay if far left wackos don't have kids. <laughs> I'm okay if they, if, if they're, you know, not that progeny anymore. Why would they possibly believe that, that the world is coming to an end? Why would there be this hysteria? Yes. Why, why, how could they possibly be engaged in it? Because you told them <laughs> people like Kamala Harris have been the principal drivers of this hysteria. And then they're like, wow, can you believe that people have this kind of anxiety? Boy, it must be bad out there. Well, you told them to have it. I mean, this is their this is the base of their base. People who are sitting around going, boy, I don't know if I should live in a house or have a kid because... With their three masks on. Yeah, I mean, that that's the base of the base. Yeah. And so, I mean, truly wackadoos, wackadoodles, whatever you want to call it. I mean... Nuts. But anyway, that's what you're dealing with. By the way, swing voters, independents, because Biden is so old, she is going to be a massive issue in this election. And they're going to listen to this and be like, what? Are you crazy? And of course, the answer is yes. (laughs) So my son Henry is taking AP uh, GOPO, the government politics class right now, and everything that they're studying about divided government, about on, but coalitions that can develop in, in this kind of situation, it's all kind of happening right now on Capitol Hill. At, yeah. least, at least divided government is. And you're talking about this very unusual coalition. I'm, I mean, I don't know if there's any chance of this is happening, Scott, where maybe some centrist Democrats, if there are, are any left, might be somehow partnering to try to save Kevin McCarthy's speakership and some government shutdown <sighs> yeah, compromise. I don't, I don't know. I mean, as we were recording this on Wednesday night, late Wednesday night, there's no agreement in the House Republican conference right now to uh, move a continuing resolution forward to fund the government and and get to a place where they're going to going to enact spending bills. And so there have been a couple of things floated. One is uh Maybe the Republicans who represent, you know, purple or Biden districts in California and New York wind up joining House Democrats in passing a clean CR. That's one thing. But they're saying they wouldn't call it a CR. They'll call it a government funding bill just to kind of get away from whatever oh, okay, nomenclature. What? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then and then the other, I guess, thing is the idea that if the conservatives that are mad at Kevin McCarthy. Let's not call them conservatives. Let's yeah. call them wackos. If, if, if the people that are mad at Kevin McCarthy uh, try to move on his speakership, then I guess Democrats are considering joining with a handful of Republicans, or more than a handful of Republicans, to basically save him as the speaker because they fear what could come next if McCarthy is deposed. So, yes, I think these things are being discussed, the likelihood of any of this. I mean, you know, a lot of times these scenarios get thrown out. Kevin, you work there. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're 10 days out from the, the government shutdown, and I still think they, Kevin McCarthy could pull a rabbit out of his hat. Magic happens with hours to go. Um, I really don't know if Democrats are going to – I think they'd like to watch the Republicans have to go through 15 votes to elect a speaker again if they, if they had the option. I, I don't see them coming to save Kevin McCarthy's side. Um, I don't know. I everybody's watching this, and there's obviously a lot of bluster and stuff happening. But I haven't given up that something's going to. Uh, Congressman uh, Ralph uh, Norman of South Carolina, who last night I was watching um, a live interview he was he was doing on PBS NewsHour. My little shout out for PBS uh, <laughs> said it's better than KGB NewsHour. Which he, is what he, he did say <laughs> he said there will be a government shutdown last night. Yeah. Tonight he's saying that he will side with McCarthy. So, see, see, I think these guys are willing to flip flop. And we're, what we're forgetting here is there's a second chamber in Congress. The Senate is overcoming roadblocks daily. It seems like, and it's not making as much news. But 
you know, they could pass something and send it the other way. Ralph Norman the other day, like he he cast a vote. I forget what it was. It had something to do with this run up to this, and it's like I he he said I voted, uh, I voted against this, and then but I meant to vote for it. Uh, you know, he vo- he ended up voting for the CR rule in the rules committee, but he had told ABC he was going to vote against it, and then he said, "Well, oh, I." I accidentally voted that way because I thought it had something to do with the governor of New Mexico. Like every time I hear Ralph Norman talk, <laughs> I'm like, "You're a you're a, a weird person." This, this guy's so he's like all over the place. But I don't know. I, I truly don't know what's going to happen. I tend to think I, I'm going to remain optimistic. I've, I've been optimistic on McCarthy the whole time. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to be on on Team Kevin here. I think he'll figure something. I hope he figures something See, out. Because Kevin's, me, me, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, we're in lockstep here. Yeah. This podcast will be posted on Thursday, which is the same day as Volodymyr, uh, Volodymyr, how do you pronounce it? Zelensky. Vol- Volodymyr. Sure. Anyway, Zelensky's going to be meeting on Capitol Hill on, yeah. on Thursday. Uh, I really appreciated um, Republican leader Mitch McConnell's comments on the floor on Wednesday, uh, just urging urgency. Uh, when it comes to this, and especially some of the slow walking by the Biden administration on all this for so long, people wonder why there's not a consensus. There needs to be, from a foreign policy standpoint, Kevin, the 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 commander in chief needs to be articulating a clear um, national interest in what we're doing here. And it seems to me there's certainly many people who are never going to be supporting this in the first place. But there has not been. I think one of the reasons why there's not a consensus or there's not a strong support here is because there hasn't been a strong message from the from the from the top. Yeah, and I think, you know, Mitch McConnell said this time and again that eventually Biden gets to the right answer. It just takes him too long to get there. Right. I think at this briefing with Zelensky for the Senate, they're having it in the old Senate chamber, which is a very important place. They only do a special stuff there. They're bringing in a bunch of heavy hitters from the administration. It seems like maybe they're finally getting their act together. I would dispute the description of anyone from this administration as a quote heavy hitter. I think these people are Sorry, they have fancy titles. I, I think <laughs> I think these people are like mid range replacement level hitters at best. I just want to say <laughs> let me <laughs> let me give you some polling. Yes. On Ukraine. In this is the Economist and YouGov tonight. In the war between Russia and Ukraine, who do you think is winning? What do you think? People said. I would say it's it's pretty evenly split. What do you think, Kevin? Uh, probably Russia. So registered voters, Ukraine 26, Russia 15, neither 44. Okay. Not sure, 15. Among Democrats, Ukraine 38, Russia 14. Mm-hmm. Among Republicans, Russia 23, Ukraine 17. There's a lot of unsure in there. But here's more interesting polling. Opinion of Zelensky. Fave unfave among registered voters. What do you think it is? Joe, Joe Arnold. Registered voters. Fave unfave of Zelensky. All registered voters. Well, he's more favorable than unfavorable. 60-40. 56 fave, 25 unfave. So a very popular net. What do you think it is among Dems? Uh, 70-30. 69-10. What do you think it is, Kevin, among Republicans? 45 fave? 39 fave, 35 unfave. Mm -hmm. So closer, but still right side up. Right. Right. Among Republicans. I mean, it, which is interesting because to hear the way it's being portrayed right now, all of Republicans have abandoned Zelensky. Right. Right. But he's still right side up. Now, could he run against Biden and Trump? <laughs> <laughs> um, independents, 42-27. Yeah. Okay. The independents like him. Right. Men, 52-29. Women, 49-18. Uh, so he, he's broadly pretty popular in the United States. Vladimir Putin. Fave unfave among all registered voters. Well, certainly unfavorable. I would twenty eighty. I was going to say. I'll say that nine eighty five. Yeah. Wow, I yeah. didn't give the American people enough credit for yeah. hating Vladimir yeah. Putin. So there's nine percent of American registered voters have a favorable opinion favorable of, view of, of Vladimir Putin among Democrats. It's interesting. Dems ten eighty two. Republicans eleven eighty four. Huh. Independence nine seventy. So it's interesting in the the media portrayal of this is well, you know, Republicans love Putin now and Democrats hate him. He has the same fave unfave among Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. Well, part it, of that. So what you're hearing in the in like the punditry is a total distortion. Well, it's because they're applying, they're projecting their own views on what Republican policies mean, and what they say is oh, you're playing into Putin's hands, which is different. That is, that is a tactical difference versus a uh, 
a preferential difference. Yeah. Make sense? That's my poll of the week. Polls of the week are done. All right, polls of the week are done. And let's go to a little seen, read, heard. Do you have any seen? Have you seen, read, or heard anything this week, Scott? Of any special import? I saw something, and I also heard it, which is what we're going to do on this podcast. So you may have been familiar with the F thirty five that went missing, the F thirty five Lightning. Yes, uh, which was uh, troubling to me that we could lose an aircraft of that uh, size, and also that cost that <laughs> that much. I mean, that's a massive thing. However, it was found. In South Carolina? Yeah. And it was heard by a man in South Carolina who found his way onto local television. And I think we should play the report, Kevin. White retired from his job at the paper mill in Georgetown 10 years ago. He lives in this house with his wife in a very rural area of Williamsburg County. He loves living about two miles away from where he grew up. Normally it's pretty quiet, but on Sunday afternoon... I was in the... Uh in the bathroom taking a shave, and I heard a, a screeching, saw that between a screech and a whistle. <laughs> I said, what in the world is this? And I heard a boom in my whole house. Show. White says he didn't realize it was a plane at the time, so he didn't call anybody. I, I just, I wanted to play that because, first of all, kudos to the local uh, reporter who found the guy that actually heard the, I mean, remember, we went, a while without anybody having seen, not seen, or heard this of this plane. Like, it was gone. You're right. The military couldn't find the plane, but local news could find the guy who heard it. So, kudos to the reporter, and also to the gentleman in the news report. I absolutely adore people who are willing to go on and just be as honest and candid as they can be about exactly what they experienced. Yeah. Like, he didn't try to say, well, it's sort of... He said, here's exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah. He described it. Ex- I mean, when I think, the reason I wanted to play this is because what is the purpose of news? What is the purpose of journalism? To get a fair and accurate record <laughs> as close as you can of something that happened. I will tell you, I think there is no more accurate description of what happened than what you would get from that guy because he was candid and honest. So I just wanted to give a shout out to both the reporter and to the gentleman who got interviewed, because I think they both did exactly what you want out of the news, a fair reporting of what happened, and we got a descriptive <laughs> thing out of it. And anyway, I did, it was obviously uh, humorous to listen to, but I just thought it was a cool report all the way around. They're going to get Pulitzers. Can you make that happen, Joe? Do you uh, have some strings you can pull? When you were a reporter, by the way, did you ever interview someone who like was so like uh, memorably descriptive of an event? Of course, now I, I, I'm trying to... Yeah, certainly, there were great sound bites and great uh, folks who I interviewed. I can't think of who that would be right now. But I, g- give me until next week's podcast. I'll see if I can get some homework. D- did you come back with the, the Venmo thing? Did you um, no, put, set up a Venmo no, no, uh, on your car? No, I don't even know. I just... I, think I, I apparently didn't even realize until after the podcast ended that they make special car paint that you don't... You don't it use, wasn't shoe you, polish. You, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> so, but we were growing up. You use the you use the old kiwi shoe polish to that was but you use that to ride on your car like if you had like a wedding or something like that you put that in your car not realizing they make special car yeah window paint yeah did you know this guy I do now you've been talking about it for two straight weeks <laughs> <laughs> he brought it up he brought it up my scene red herd Kevin knows about this I want to give a shout out to uh, four different high school students across Kentucky for National Voter Registration Day on Tuesday mm. volunteered to host these drives at their respective schools at Central Hardin High School, Ballard Memorial High School, McCracken County High School, and Barron County High School. All the great job. Kevin, you were involved with this as well, and uh, just a great... All of them were uh, participants on the Washington Youth Tour sponsored by the Electric Cooperatives of, of Kentucky, and they came back. They were so inspired by this trip, they came back home and hosted these voter registration drives. So that was my... Observation of the week. Very good. Mine uh, is a little closer to home. I literally stepped out of my front porch and looked uh, two doors down. My neighbor has Halloween decorations up. Oh, oh, it's time. It is September twentieth, and that Wait. feels a little early to me. I'm sorry. You, you. I know, like being suburban dad is new yeah. to you right now. No, it's time. 
You need to get those those pumpkins. You need to get those scarecrows. Okay. Your inflatables. You need See, them out right. Is, inflatables. That, that, we're not going to agree on no, that. No, no. Inflatables um, are that's that's. Uh, you're, 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 not a good you're a Scrooge of all these. No, I'm not. <laughs> you are. I, I like traditional Halloween. I don't like these inflatables and these I'm noises sorry. and these what generators. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, <laughs> sorry. What is traditional? He's going to be out burning the witches. Uh. <laughs> traditional Halloween. Yes. Explain to me. Jack o' lanterns. Okay, that's a that's a that's a decoration. Can Kevin not put that up right now? Well, not yet. Not not in September. You have to wait at least until October. What? Why? That, because that, that's my thought too. But my neighborhood goes goes pretty big into Halloween, which I guess I have forgotten since last uh, November. It, look, I have been radicalized on this by my wife, who gets so many decorations and inflatables for every thing now, and I used to resist. Now I'm just accepting of it. I suspect ours will be out rather shortly. So we're ending. When, when, is, the, when is the Arbor Day inflatable? Uh, <laughs> so right. we're, we're ending the podcast the way we began, which is abandoning your principles for the sake of populism. <laughs> Look, I, I like Peace in his household. That's right. First of all, I love the fall, bringing people together. I love. I do love Halloween. I love this time of the year. I like the weather in the morning. Yeah, I saw an amazing graphic on uh, the internet. By the way, it said, "Welcome to Kentucky. Winter is at six a.m. <laughs> Spring is at ten a.m. Summer is at two p.m. And fall is at six p.m." <laughs> so I was like, "This is this is very accurate." But I love this time of the year as we move towards Halloween. I do not have a single problem with somebody sticking out the decorations right now. All right, I'm going to change my mind and on this. As long as they're willing to give me candy as soon as they put the decorations up. As if if you were willing to give me candy, if I go to your door, wait, are you saying that you would be you? You're going to be dressing are you, are you, are up. Are you going to be trick or treating, <laughs> or do you just knock on random doors asking for things? I'm making this up as I go along. <laughs> no what would idea. you What would you be dressed up as this year? By the way, what's the scariest thing you can think of? An old man, <laughs> a shoe polish salesman. <laughs> For Scott and Kevin, I'm Joe. This has been Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Have a great day. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.